0: Hi everyone. You are currently listening to the Catholic Trojan Podcast, the USC Caruso Catholic Center's first student-run podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Castillo. We have an exciting show for you today, so I hope you enjoy listening to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Trojan Podcast. Today, we are joined by Father Vince, who is one of the priests at Saint Monica Catholic Community, um and also he assisted in teaching my campus ministry class when I was a senior at St Monica's. So it's good to finally invite him onto the show so he can talk a little bit about what he knows regarding Hollywood, Catholicism, and the supernatural. And so today, I'm going to let Father Vince open us up in prayer.
1: Cool, awesome, Thank you, Brittany. It's good to see you again, even albeit virtually. So let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. Please continue to bless the Catholic Student Center at USC, Um, plus Brittany and her wonderful hosting here, and actually the the nice outline that she put together. Um, It's great. uh, It flows very well and very logically. We pray for those that maybe are not able to be with us live, but hopefully they can watch on the recording and of course we pray for both uh, schools, Notre Dame and USC and um, may the team travel safely today and tomorrow and may it be a good uh, healthy competition tomorrow and uh, good sportsmanship too in the game. And also please send your blessings on me. It's um, some kind of difficult content in terms of uh, the supernatural, exorcism, demonic, what have you. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. We'll ask also for the ladies, our ladies intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So yeah, just by way of introduction, as Brittany had mentioned, my name is Father Vince Kuna of the Congregation of Holy Cross, so I am a religious priest in the order that uh, was founded in the 19th century in France and then came to the United States as one of their first mission territories, if you can kind of believe that, it was once you know, a mission territory and kind of very quickly moved from the East Coast to the state of Indiana and then established kind of our flagship ministry in terms of the University of Notre Dame where we're still present there and serving that community I'm originally from Naperville, Illinois, so I don't know how much, it's a Chicago suburb now best known, I think I could make the argument for um, the hometown of Candace Parker, who um, just won a WNBA championship with the Chicago Sky. So she made her hometown, at least I'm really proud of of that fact, um, (laughs) kind of being from the Midwest. Alma mater's mentioned, yeah, so I'm a rare bird in terms of yeah, I always wanted to go to Notre Dame as an undergraduate. I just had watched the team since grade school or football team. So I yeah, went there late nineties, got a BBA in marketing and the business school there. And then after a few wor- years of working in the business world went back and then matriculated through seminary and earned a master's of divinity. And then yeah, discerned a uh, vocation to the congregation of Holy Cross, one of our spiritual charisms are is educators in the faith that's known primarily in our institutes of higher education, but it's also known a little more broadly. And so when I finished kind of my first placement in Colorado Springs at a parish there, they kind of asked, what are you really interested in studying? I've always liked film and TV. And so they encourage me to apply to the best programs. Uh, USC's MFA in film and TV to production is the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's really a close second, <laughs> in my opinion. So yeah, it's great. I'm a rare bird that has degrees from both universities. In terms of my personal vocation, I guess I'd be a rather later vocation because I've worked a few years in the corporate world. But yeah, I went to Notre Dame just with the intentions of, well, primarily obviously getting a degree, but I was also on the varsity swim team, which actually occupied a lot of my time. Um, so I didn't, you know, while I, while I kept up with prayer and we actually did have mass every, I think Thursday for the team. My priority was just kind of swimming, having fun, and really not thinking too beyond the, far beyond the future. And so just entered the corporate world as the next logical step. Choosing business is more of a practical choice as well. My parents said it was, especially my mother, said it was a little too much money to be spending to not get a degree in either business or engineering. The one compromise I did was I could take any of the general electives in their film, television, theater department, which and it was then primarily theory. So I kind of always kept a a foot in the creative world in that sense, at least from an, an analyzing point. Yeah, I worked as a consultant for a few years. It was decent money. I was in the city of Chicago. That was a lot of fun. I kind of grew up knowing that as well. It wasn't internally fulfilling for me. It was fun, but it really didn't, there wasn't an abiding joy um, to it. Kind of my, the saving grace was my junior, senior year. I kind of did less of the Thursday night night bar scene and I had a childhood friend of mine who entered seminary is in our, in our orders undergraduate program for seminarians called Old College. Not that I entered my, that at that time in college, but I was able to attend their Thursday night prayer sessions. and I'm like, wow, this is a lot. This is much more fulfilling internally. And so I always had a foot kind of back in the door with the idea of at least trying seminary out. And I just felt this kind of nagging call from, from our Lord, just really speaking to me, at least to give it seminary a, a chance. And so I actually entered like with the intention of like, let me make sure this isn't the thing I don't wanna do, um, even though I, I feel this odd calling to priesthood. And then it, I guess it's just like any other relationship you would have in life. You just kind of fall in love with what you do. And I found more joy and I felt more internally settled. And then yeah, I entered seminary was ordained in, gosh, it's over 12 years now. (laughs) And um, it does kind of fly by in that sense. And then five years as in a parish, the last year of which was, it's called a bridge year, where I was still working in the parish with, although a little more limited, and then taking a screenwriting class, working with a parishioner in Colorado who's in kind of had his one-man operation. So interned there while um, preparing a resume for uh, film school and then applied to USC for their January admission, actually not thinking I would get in. And I did, I got it you know, on the waiting list. And then I think Christmas day, they called and said, you know, the slot opened up. So I'm like, my superiors know it's the best program. So they said, even if you liked where you were previously, you will be transferring over <laughs> um, a lot of respect, especially from Notre Dame, they know it's um, the best degree. And yeah, this kind of flows very logically. They um Brittany asked involvement in the industry. So yeah, I work for Family Theater Productions. And so that's a small Catholic production house. Our most recent documentaries that we actually filmed were like right before shutdown. So it was good because then we had something to edit during that time where there were a lot of regulations on the like the actual filming part. So it was good that we had a couple in that sense ready to edit over the year of sequester. Um, one would be Pray. So, the documentary on our founder, Father Patrick Payton, who, yeah, he, he worked with A-listers at the time in terms of the, the 40s up until the 90s. It was a pretty miraculous story. And, um, like much of what we do, is um, owed to him. So, that was a documentary that did fairly well. And then we're also kind of in the sports world. I know like sports are a huge passion of mine. I, when we were able to meet in person, I was more of the Dodgers chaplain. Hopefully that'll resume um, next year with the next season. So we did a documentary on the women's coach for the University of Montana, the Grizzlies. So he was kind of the, I guess, coach K of women's basketball in that sense. Um, and yeah, they're in a part of the world too, or part of the country where uh, there's a good amount of native reservations in the area. And so it actually kind of was a nice feeder program for young Native American tribes women to, to kind of matriculate through the program and get a great degree. So that did fairly well as well, at least in the basketball world. Also, kind of what I do to a lesser extent, just given my unique expertise that I'll get into in a moment. I also work, I don't want to overstate this part, but I work as a consultant to mainstream film and TV. I, I'm lucky if I get one or two gigs a year, it's definitely a kind of a part-time ministry for me. So I don't even know if seen people have seen the program. So um, <laughs> the Conjuring series, I think they, let's see the Annabelle, one of those movies. And then this Conjuring 2, I, I definitely remember because I was a little more involved in that one as a consultant what else would uh, ratchet that was actually named and nominated for a few golden globes. So it was the um, nurse ratchet origin story that was on Netflix. So that was from one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. That was from the originally a movie from the seventies. And then a couple things I've also worked on that will hopefully be releasing. And again, it's, it's just minimal. I'm, I'm lucky if I'm on the set one day for whatever, Particular Catholic scene, or if they need a Bible analysis or like references for the liturgical texts, especially for baptism, that seems to be very popular. And we'll actually pray that as closing prayer. Then, in terms of how I came to expertise in that, this like the supernatural world, there's actually kind of a almost a cinematic story. So, as a young priest, it must have been my first or second year. In Colorado, we would have these really cool week-long retreats. Sometimes it would just be meetings and business and life of the diocese, but at least once a year, it'd be more of a retreat format. And it was amazing because we'd be in like a ski town of some sort, and then just be at a Catholic retreat center or a nice um, hotel when it was in mud season. And Things are cheaper in that sense. And one of the weeks we had the chief exorcist of the archdiocese in New York. So right there in New York City. And he gave some training to us on the occult, the evil exorcism and the demonic. And I kind of went into it with, you know, I always think I have faith, but you can, there's always opportunities to expand that and to believe more and to rely on our Lord more. I guess I would have been more prone to just explain things away rationally, but uh, he made a very convincing uh, week of lectures and training in these types of things really rooted it in the stories of the gospel where, you know, previously I might've looked at when Jesus heals someone or chases out a demon. I guess I, I, I had in my mind, there was more to be read figuratively, but there, there were very, I got to know him as very real stories, very literal stories, as, as real as, you know, when Jesus teaches about the Eucharist or teaches about forgiveness, it's all in that realm of the supernatural. So we taught there and then I remember distinctly, I can remember it like it was yesterday, like being a good young priest, I sat in the front row, like I could tell some of the priests would, you know, they'd be in the back row and they're on the phone or working, you know, work <laughs> at the parish. We're like any, you think we'd be better or we're like anyone. We're like, that's why I'm not too hard on my high school kids. I'm like, I used to be, I can be, the. I know I can be the same way. Priests can be the same way. I'm trying to be good. And then Father Dennis had said, okay, well, and then he was speaking to the bishop in the back row and he said, Bishop Michael, I, going forward, the two action items, there should be one, an exorcist for the diocese. And Bishop Michael said, yes, there is. We have one appointed. I'm not going to broadcast who that is. Um, it's just good to only a couple of people know that they don't have to deal with like every person that comes in that mm-hmm. has experienced the, the supernatural. And then he also said it would be helpful to have, because of that fact, it would be helpful to have a priest who would be willing to be the triage person and to like interview the, the people that would come in with a claim that they experience the supernatural. So again, it, it would work into like a movie moments. I just raised my hand thinking everyone else would just being like a good priest to just volunteer and be helpful to the wider diocese. And I, and I raise my hand, look around back and I'm like the only one. So Bishop Michael's like, oh, you're the <laughs> guy. So yeah, it was, it, these incidences are very rare. I think I had a half dozen people in the year or two that I was k- kind of tasked with this responsibility. But by the time they would get to that point where they were confident speaking to a priest hadn't ruled it out by by some other explanation, you know, of the half dozen that came through, there were five legitimate cases that I would I, I then forwarded on to the diocese, and then they brought that to the the attention of the priest. That's actually the exorcist. That was yeah. How did it become an interest? I think was your question. Um, kind of was assigned as an interest kind of the just trying to be in the good, obedient priest in that sense. I'm kind of moving then to church teaching. So what uh, the question was, what is the church's teaching about the supernatural? Um, I, I guess I would interpret that broadly. So, I mean, there's a good sense of the supernatural. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in the supernatural, you know, what happens at mass, what happens when I, you know, absolve, People on my duty day, and I hear confessions. Um, that's really a point in, in seminary too. You know, I was interested in the social work that we do, the direct service to the poor. Obviously, I'm in, I'm in these teaching moments. You know, I've taught in, in uh, at least for a semester at Notre Dame. I've helped out is a little bit. The you know a couple of days a week at St. Monica's High School. I mean, that that's good. That's very close to primary in terms of what a a priest does, but ultimately it's, they have to be interested in the supernatural. And I remember my first vocation meeting, he's like, yeah, it seems like you're interested in all the things the church is involved in, but eventually it's got to come down to the sacraments and preaching. In one sense, there was a silver lining for me in terms of uh, the year plus of shutdown. That was kind of like what we were relegated to just, preaching the best we could do an empty church on, on the live stream and then a mass and yeah, hearing confessions. If for us, it was outdoors. It's, you know, nice weather has everyone remembers. And so it really re solidify in these extreme circumstances, it's like reinforced my co- calling, not only into priesthood, but the supernatural elements. And then in terms of the good, there's kind of a, a purgatory sense of it too. So not quite evil stuff, but also th- uh, an area that I w- would warn people to, to steer clear of as well, in terms of, I would say the occult. So like Ouija boards, you know, trying to connect with dead spirits or, you know, one's grandmother or uh, anything in terms of tarot cards or, yeah, anything in that realm. Yeah, I'd say like, stay, steer clear of, I have maybe more of a, allergy to it in the, in the sense I just know of these things And I you know I bought a book on the plane when I came back here I was actually at the Chicago Film Festival most of that was online but I was uh there's some you know some of it in person but I was flying back got a book for the plane and then noticed the subheadings it, it's this movie that'll be it's being adapted into a book that's adapted into a movie and there's the chapter headings were like tarot cards I'm like well, shoot like you have like almost like a tarot card set because if they're all the subject headings for the chapter so i just left that at the airport <laughs> now i not have that much of the resistance like in terms of not getting into that so that'd be the kind of an intermediate level and then obviously stuff to certainly avoid yeah the church teaches like if well if god's real evil's real too satan's mm-hmm. a real entity demonic satanic worship would be was, again something very rare so Actually, even in satanic cults, like a vast majority of them just, they don't actually believe in the devil. They just want, I mean, some do, a few do, and that would be bad. But oddly enough, it's just kind of a gathering of of people needing to gather together to have community in many many cases. Um, So, but even that, I would say kind of steer clear of the way that you would, if you in very rare instances, since these things are real, you have spiritual devices, weapons for lack of a better word. So yeah, again, you can deal with these things in ordinary ways in terms of frequenting the sacrament of confession, you know, making sure mass is a priority, hopefully on a a weekly basis, um, praying the rosary. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just doing the good and holy things to kind of get getting back on track. And if that's the case for you and you know, someone else that I'm dabbled, maybe with unhealthy things or they may be attacked spiritually in a sense then, or, or in a, in a reality, then yeah, it's, it's good just to re- return to the ordinary means of de- dealing with that. That usually res- resolves 90 some percent of cases. And um, it's only in a very rare instance that we've be explained, try to explain things rationally for maybe something that someone's been experiencing and and the ordinary means aren't resolving it entirely. That that then we would then escalate that with a, a call to the archdiocese and then uh, working with the one or two priests that uh, specifically deal with that. And then yeah, kind of combining the two again. I this is a thanks again, Brittany for this is like one of the best outlines I've had. So talk <laughs> about media, talk about supernatural. So then, how do these often converge? So historically the the church media in general in the past they've had more of a puritanical approach to it it was just something new like screens watching stuff it's very germane to what we do every day to the everyday. um but just imagine a a part moment in time where radio was a complete new medium film in the 19. 20s in terms of fi- silent film was very new. And then talkies became a thing. Television in the 1950s as that became more broad and, and mainstream. It's just they have a skeptical approach to it. I wish it would be a little more, right now it'd be a little more neutral. So it's, it's not so much the, the media or the medium. It's just, it's how are things depicted? So again, I, I would be, a lit, I mean, there's different perspectives. I, I work in the industry, so I tend to be a little, you know, liberal-minded and more, I guess, permissible in terms of what we watch and what, maybe what I watch. So it's maybe not so much the content, but how how is it depicted? So you know, life can be rated R. Sometimes, I guess, to make a, <laughs> a crude analogy, but is that celebrated in the content that we're watching, or is it like we just need to tell a good, real story? So yeah, life life is what it is or Father Bud Kaiser, he was actually, the Paulists are actually another religious order that are in ministry. And he always said, you know, depict life as it is, but then also depict grace if the person responds to it in terms of reconciliation and mercy and changing one's life, like make that something real as well. So if it's content, read out of content, it's not glorified, but it's like, we need a plot point to have a story arc and maybe the person emergence out of that sinfulness, I mean, that that's the life of, of sin and both grace, whether or not the actual content would be overtly religious or not. I think actually the best stories are when it appeals to a broader audience and like the faith themes would be more something that you can unpack or unpackage. And then, yeah, it could make for a good kind of lecture as well. So, yeah. And then how do we watch it critically? Just to kind of know it's a movie, you know, it's a made up story. Usually, <laughs> it's filmmaking they need to take a little bit of liberties even if the story is is based on something real so yeah that's a good thing to know and then as we horror movies were kind of the next thing that was on the outline so this was the analysis of a movie and i would say as well like horror films in general and i would say especially exorcism films they're absolutely especially if they're real life cases and you stay close to the real life case it's very much custom, it's tailor-made to like story structuring, at, le- at least in American filmmaking and screenwriting. It's very much what I was always taught. A screenplay is very much an industrial document. It's the blueprint. There's a very scientific approach to it. Like I, you know, I become the kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say jaded, but definitely like the producer where like, I know if there's not, you know, I'm reading a, a script, we're thinking of props producing, it's like, well, I need, an inciting incident by, you know, page 20 type of thing. Exorcism films are the best in terms of the real life cases. It, it fits the story structure almost per- perfectly. And so I don't know how many film and TV people we have. I, I guess they would speak specifically to those in that arena, but I think it's pretty interesting. It kind of works too if you've seen the movie, but very briefly it was, if people haven't seen the movie, I would say go and, go and see it if you wouldn't be, too scared of it. But it's a family, I believe they were nominally Catholic, a real life story from the 70s. So they moved into what's now called the Amity House. And, you know, it's their first home. Mother, father, I believe, five daughters and the family dog. You think nothing's really going to happen out of the unusual. Um, as soon as they move in, the dog's very hesitant to go in and just actually won't actually go into the house because he's can sense something something evil and odd is there. Wow. So that would, would be called your inciting incident. Okay, we're kind of brought into the horror of this. And again, a very, on a very subtle scale, well, things kind of escalate, things move in the night, things go bump in, in the night, odd uh, things are happening. And they again, like any rational person, they try to explain it away through, um, okay, maybe that bruise that one woke up with in the night, you Sleep was sleeping, not walking or what have you. And then it moves to what's called the midpoint and kind of a re- reversal in the storytelling where the characters realize that it's something supernatural. And if it's good storytelling too, you as the viewer should kind of realize that about the same time as the, as the characters. It's not, not the best of screenwriting when you're, you're ahead of the film and like, okay, well, I realized this was the case prior to the characters. Um, and then when they know that's the case, then they track down uh, Ed and Warren or no, it's Ed and, and
0: Lorraine <laughs> Thank
1: you. Yeah. Yeah, they're real life lay I wouldn't say exorcists, but they were they would often accompany the, the priests and they were experts in it and uh recognized, yes, by the church. And so that's and created a pretty amazing universe, in much in terms of like the Marvel universe, because there's been sequels and spinoffs and prequels, and yeah, it's been amazing in that sense. And they have a file of these real life cases, so they they brought them in, and then you're you're yeah you're dealing with the real thing, and really good storytelling as well. The again, the church is usually very slow to move on these things in real life, so the local priest is kind of out of I've got. With the plot point was but he was kind of out of the equation so the, they made for a lot more better tension that the warrens and especially the family had to deal with that so not to ruin it but they are freed of the possession and which is great but it works better since the the family could come to to faith as well i mean that's really the point of any healing that Jesus does in the, in the gospels, like healing the man born blind Um, this weekend. I think it's another, yeah. Bartimaeus, the blind man, he's healed as well. I mean, yeah, it's on a good surface story that people can, their eyes can be open. They can see their world, but often it's, do they come to faith on a deeper level or does, you know, Jesus, Jesus heals 10 lepers. There's the one that comes back and thanks our Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you. was like the very simplest Prayer we could offer or yeah again with Bartimaeus uh, it's actually Bible good Bible storytelling is it's it makes for good filmmaking as well I say you know I'll ask kind of in a call and response in my homily this weekend I'm like hey it's, it's a, a story about being about sight isn't it and you know they'll probably say yes but it's actually a good what we call in the film world a good notion of misdirection well no Jesus says to the Bartimaeus right before he's healed we'll call them over. And the second reading talks about calling. Well, calling is someone calls you, you hear it, and then you respond to it. So it's more of listening to the voice of God. Or if we think of vocation, like as I've talked very early on, on a personal vocation, and then maybe a professional vocation of being in media, you don't always come to it, even in a visual medium of film and TV and short format content, you just kind of have to, like hear the voice of God, hear kind of what's in the cultural zeitgeist, so that you know what I might produce would be, yeah, you know, some hopefully received, and received well, and speak to to someone and, and be relevant in that sense. Yeah, so that's very important. Um, you know, they say seeing is believing. You know, well, no, healing, hearing the voice of God brings us to better belief. We would hope, uh, again, that would be also the theme of my homily this Sunday as I'm patching the <laughs> I said, there's a very logical outline and kind of the last piece of that. Probably the best part of it too are kind of how does evil progress? And I put, so there's probably four stages. One, and it would be the asterisk, the star temptation. It's the the devil's going to work in very ordinary means. So it's just, you know, he tempts, you respond to it and like, he's got you. And that's, I mean, that totally got you. But um, it's, you know, we all sin in that way, just resort to the sacraments You know, we're forgiven in the sacrament of the Eucharist. If it was, we discerned it was something more severe, you know, kind of through our prayer, try to get to the sacrament of confession. Again, in these extreme circumstances, and it may even work better in a sense of just like pray to God, like go straight to God, have like more earnest prayer with with more time with our Lord. Sometimes I got to be careful here. Sometimes it can be maybe better than, the confession instead of just listing been bit of sins and be, you know, being like, okay, you know, forgiven. Let me get out of here. Type <laughs> of thing. So, I know in my worst, moments, like, I can be kind of the same when I go. Yeah. So there's many ways to like kind of nip temptation uh, in the bud or um, avoid occasion of sins. And that's, that's the way the devil operates like a vast, vast majority of the time. Or, you know, I do a lot of ecumenical work or, uh, we do a little thing at Sundance where we work with an evangelical group. And we always say, this is great that we're unified. You know, anytime we're divided, like, again, we will probably, you know, obviously differ in, in theology, but um, more we can emphasize a lot of the things we have in common. That's great. And then when divisions kind of brought in, it's like, you know, when I evangelical pastor friends, it's like, you know, the devil's like, I already got them, you know, when we do this to ourselves. So That's like Star. The more extraordinary ways that the devil operates, again, if he wasn't so prideful, if he could just do the first one and like we'd forget that he existed, that's the best trick he could play on us. But he's just too prideful. He's just like, well, let me manifest myself in kind of um, other extraordinary visible ways. So infestation would be kind of the next stage. If some evil things are brought into a house and then God help them the next family that was renting or buying kind of stumble upon it. You kind of don't deal with it. The, the devil is trying to try to get like, you know like immediate aura or like that actually inside us we would call it a obsession would be the next stage. That's an odd no man's land because you want to resort to the sacraments but it's something that's kind of beyond the, that ordinary reach. And so, yeah, kind of in terms of how how would we deal with it? Um, And then in very, very, very rare instances would be possession and you'd have to resort to the exorcism diocese and have to, again, where the church is very, at least in this country, maybe overly rational. You have to, you would have to explain it, that it could not be explained through scientific means. And also work. You'd be working with the psychologist, who, if if not Catholic, he or himself, or himself or herself, that they at least be sympathetic to, you know, what might be happening, and also work in tandem with the exorcist. The person would be able to to survive the right that you would you would pray, and uh, primarily you'd pray the psalms. That would be um, how our Lord, the apostles, and then the church has direct descendants of that God giving us the power to do that, which is, I think that's kind of the coolest part too. And I would say it's not just the priest. I thought that again, the, the first Conjuring movie was really good. Lay people, actually anyone that was, that's baptized. So it would even be our, our Protestant, um, our Eastern Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters. Again, it and that that's like the coolest thing. So whereas where the efficacy of the sacraments don't depend on, I mean, we would hope that, priest has faith is doing well in the moral life and maybe ideally in a state of grace so Mm -hmm. whereas the sacraments don't depend on that because you then the the faithful can never know when when are they would they be receiving the sacraments so like god operates through a a priest as a sinner as anyone else so with what are called exorcisms what is would be called sacramentals it actually would be dependent on the holiness, the belief, the, the faith of the priest to, to chase these things out. Or like it would be a really good idea if, for a, a priest as if they were going to an honest to exorcism with kind of a team of priests and laypersons, it uh, would be a good idea to go to um, confession and yeah, just to be, have that spiritual armor. I could tell one story that would also explain uh, kind of a nuance in the theology It's really the only time I experienced something spooky and it wasn't. So another thing we should make a differentiate to would be like how evil in the sense it works. So at the fall, when um, Satan and the, the third of the angels did not want to be subject to our Lord Jesus, because they were like, ooh, icky, I don't, we like God, but we don't like his son because humans, you know, humans are like below us. So we're not going to be subject to the the son of God, even though he's both human and divine. So you had a third of the angels fall from the heavens. So now they roam between earth, so our lives, and then between that and hell. It doesn't specify how many angels there were, that God made. You'd think it would be just a handful, so there wouldn't be too many like fallen angels, but that's, I guess that's not the case. And so they kind of roam in that sense, that would be a fallen angel, the demonic spirit, the way if you would be having to experience something of the supernatural, the very easiest way to determine it is if you kind of woke up with bruises or scratches, we're getting into kind of, kind of graphic material, but um, if and that those weren't explainable, that would be different than what we would call, I guess, for lack of a better word, just a ghost or soul of a dead person that hasn't gone back to to our Lord, um, and, and reached heaven, so it would be in, in a realm of purgatory. I wouldn't say ghosts would be exhaustive of what purgatory is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the theological distinction. That's a lot to to take in at once. So the one this probably would be the only time, like I've heard stories, and I deal with like legitimate stories, perhaps the only time I've ever experienced something supernatural. So while I was at USC film school, I was working, I think I had actually a professional gig. So I was working at like a Doritos commercial spec or whatever it was. That was on a one day shoot on a Sunday. So I knew, I I did like the Saturday morning mass in my room and then the vigil mass that anticipated a Sunday because I just knew I'd be on set all day. And so I was living, I should say, at the time with the Jesuits in their community at the Loyola Marymount University. And I was on the side that overlooks the, bluff. it's a wonderful university, don't (laughs) mention it. I guess you probably could have figured it out even. So part of the bluff and trying to be very ecumenical, they uh, had, had a totem pole on one side of the campus where I was also living. And yeah it was kind of kind of scary in a sense. It felt like an invisible hand like kind of pushed my head on the pillow and then like a, like a foreign language speaking to me like like a, it wasn't like in a dream or anything. Mm-hmm. so then just worked with a priest, a couple of priest friends and kind of tried to, ex- try to explain it rationally and then I think it was a campus minister that said again I, I wasn't harmed at all in a physical sense. But what we kind of determined, because there were like a few other cases on campus, um, I guess those, maybe it was just picking on the devout kids. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess it would. I kind of welcomed in, in the kind of the best sense. Yeah, just souls from the um, Native American tribes are present there in the Bayona um, wet area or the wetlands there. Mm-hmm. And it was odd because then when we kind of blessed the the room, I said masses for like whatever was going on and like didn't hear, that was kind of the end of it. And I guess it would be, you know, these souls went to to heaven. And maybe not necessarily those that were Christian or Catholic, like salvation's open to even those outside of baptism. I thought it was very affirming of that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, sorry for naming that, but I mean, cool. I dealt with, yeah, I got it really good spiritual advice kind of spooky if it's spooky in a good sense and you no one was and none of the cases were physically harmed um and like a look back at it now is you know like that was pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. oh yeah thank you for sharing all this um it's a lot i think of information for like just to take it at once it's also very interesting yeah. And so, like, I'm I'm kind of similar to, like, you. Like, I've always been interested. Like, I've had my own personal experiences with it. I mean, our family goes to you pretty frequently, too. Yeah. When it comes to stuff. Uh, but yeah. So one of the questions that I want to ask was, um. so yesterday, like, when I was trying to, like, prepare for a conversation, there's a mini, I guess, like, a mini documentary about the entire process of how they wanted to make the conjuring universe, which I think is probably the most prevalent cinematic universe, I think, in our time right now, that kind of deals with like the constant battle between like good and evil in regards to like the supernatural world and implementing some Catholic elements into it. And so it was very interesting because one of the bishops that they had work on the set, he said that the reason why he wanted, like he, he thought like it was necessary for them to like bless the sets was. The cosmos don't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction in regards to like how things are being portrayed so like it kind of opens up i guess the energies that they produce yeah. um, and i don't know if like you have anything absolutely to, like, yeah i mean
1: if you go to the wikipedia article it had mentioned they didn't think to do that at the beginning like things were happening odd or like uh, just equipment was falling unexplainably and that, that can be dangerous demonic spirit isn't going to make the distinction that's their window in. Um, mm-hmm. So you gotta be really careful. I mean, as I mentioned with, uh, I remember, I'm i glad I re- actually forgot uh, the name of the book that's will be a movie. And it, it really even doesn't have to do with anything overtly demonic, but it's like you picked like tarot cards as the <laughs> chapter headings. like <laughs> So I'm not even close to, yeah. So yeah, just something to be wary of and to avoid. Yeah. But it helps to bless, because we, my boss did the blessing for the Annabelle. It was this not the first one, but the second Annabelle creation, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: So the um yeah, lovely the one who played the young, pretty nun of I think Mexican descent. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. like at least Catholic. She's like, I'll do the movie, but I'm not going to, you, someone's got to come in and bless this, <laughs> this doll in the set. So it's like, yeah, I go to the book of blessings. Right? Just my boss is like, I gotta bless something. Look it up for me. I don't have time. <laughs> so there was actually a blessing for, item used for work and a new office building. So I'm like, well, technically it is a building, you know, the set that you just built. And then, yeah, I guess this prop doll would be something, you know, item used for work. So I did, there were actually, a couple of prayers that would bless. So yeah, that's a very important to do. Cause I think it's good that if it's depicted realistically, it does expose evil for what it mm-hmm. is, um, which the devil would not want out there. So it's good to depict to that. Yeah, you just gotta be really careful with it. So blessing the side was the, a prudent thing to do.
0: Yeah. And then I want to like hear what your opinion on this was the way i've seen movies especially those that deal with like horror sometimes they end up being the most pro religion movies in a way i don't know if like you've seen that kind of as a trend in like the movies that you've watched but that's like kind of something that i've noticed while viewing these
1: yeah because so let's say if it wasn't I'm trying to think of like one what it wouldn't be overtly catholic um yeah, this actually goes back. I watch. I love the genre, Genre, so I'll watch it almost anything. <laughs> um, there were a few, there's been a recent trend. Again, they're good, scary. I mean, it, yeah, there have been some good secular ones that they I wouldn't quite say glorify, but they don't, a lot of them don't find the hope out of it, even though it is pretty realistic. Like I liked The Witch was pretty good. Um, that was set in like kind of Puritan America. I thought that mm-hmm. was very well from a, a Puritanical, from that faith tradition. I thought that was pretty well done. Midsummer was kind of, that was a crazy, <laughs> that was pretty realistic too, in terms of yeah. you know, take like a couple things from like Scandinavian Christianity and like fuse it with a cult. I think that that was a very realistic depiction of that. But um, mm-hmm. again, that kind of like ends without hope. Hereditary, and i like, oh, you guys aren't college. I have to warn my seniors, or if I'm talking to high school group, you're 18, you can descend on your own. But they definitely depict fear. I mean, it's horror, so it puts you to, and that's the foil or the opposite of having faith and confidence. Mm-hmm. I tend to like the ones that, yeah, deal with like horror and then show you a way out of it or a hopefulness. Like I grew up with like teen slasher movies from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And your college group, I preached this, it really felt really well with the gospel in that sense, because like Jesus teaches in graphic terms to like catch our attention. I think a lot of those did too. And they would often have a subtle message on chastity that the ones, the characters that, you know, whether it's like a a teen can't I think of like Friday the Thirteenth, or uh, would actually be the one that comes to mind. Um, the ones that don't aren't hooking up through the course of the movie. They're the ones that end up, end up surviving. Jason, mm-hmm. looking back, I'm like, this had a pretty good message on. Like, if you could read between the lines on actually Chastity and just not relating to each other in, in that unchaste way. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess you, you don't quite find that now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I <I'd> definitely had. <laughs> some church moms from the grade school at a, a different parish um, calling to the pastor and the pastor got the context of which I framed that. So he thank God he took my side, but, <laughs> but you got to be careful. But um, yeah, I, I would agree with you too. They tend to, if they offer hope, um, what else have they used kind of monster films? I thought it was a one word. I ah, can't remember. It was like uh, alligator's, and a flooding in Florida and the main characters. Oh, after, yeah. What was it? Crawl.
0: Yes, thank you. Crawl. Yes. yes. Um,
1: <laughs> that was awesome. I actually have, I'm working on, so just to give um, you know, we always kind of give a plug for ourselves. So something I do that actually kind of like more than actual production is it can be, I guess production is less glamorous than it sounds like. We see a, a polished product you know when we go to the movies but like it's just like kind of physical like long hours kind of a lot of drudgery on the at least on the other side of the camera so kind of what i do what i get actually more joy out of it's just a lot of story structure analysis kind of combining what i know in terms of theology so crawl would be a very good example of the most catholic story structure of all time would be dante's and divine comedy and then Inferno, Purgatorio, I mean, how to pronounce it right, um, Paradiso. So I missed the day in that Latin, Latin course that they taught Latin. Um, but um, yeah, I thought that was like an excellent, like, substructure. Okay, they, they sent me start off, and most of life is just like in this, like, flooded nastiness of the basement. And then, yeah, like, various alligators populate that, but then they're able to get to the, the first floor of the house of the living in and then they kind of traverse the steps of Pregatory And by the end, they're at the top and everything's wide open. It's, they're, it's raining, they're cleansed. There's also some confirmation imagery, like, like fire is the image for that. So you see like the helicopter coming to rescue Mm -hmm. as they're holding a a light so the light of christ in 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 you and then the main light as well i think that's a lot of cool imagery um so it doesn't always yeah always have to be something demonic that would be very much just a regular story yeah i think the main character had the sense to get out as the hurricane was approaching Her father did not and so she's going to rescue her Mm
0: and
1: we watched that one year so yeah
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really true though. A lot of like secular media, you can find some way to kind of connect it back to like religious elements. Like you can find um, it kind of serves like an, as an analogy for a lot yeah, of the stuff yeah. that we're familiar with. I yeah,
1: I for not having a, a degree, like having a degree from there, I thought it really cool. And one other thing I'll say. So the cross became central to the church, to the life of the Christian and it took a good three centuries for it to be so because it was a very, even at the time that it happened, I mean, even in the scriptures, it's like every, all the, all the disciples, the apostles, they scatter, except for a handful of people at the cross. And it, it took, yeah, a good three centuries. Then after the the rule of uh, Constantine, that that became central. And it is a way to be like, even the Christians were scared of this instrument of what you put, whether someone was, Christian or not. And oftentimes whether someone was innocent or not, it was the instrument of death in the Roman empire. So that was a way of kind of mocking death. It's like, well, we have the hope for eternal life. And so that's our way of mocking it. So I thought it was a very clever thing. Well, alligators were the things to fear and crawl. Well, let's find um, a swimming program, which turn the Florida gators, like something you'd be really scared of. And like, it's like mascot, you'd be like, well, we're not scared of it type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I saw in college, so I like that program. Caleb uh, <laughs> Trussley kicks some butt in Tokyo. So I thought that was a cool thing. A lot I, get, I just thought of that as we were talking. So
0: And then I want to go touch on like the good aspects that you kind of talk about regarding cool. the supernatural. Yeah, I never really thought about like the entire process of like transubstantiation mm-hmm. being, you know, like a good aspect of it. Um, and especially like the Bible stories. Those do... I don't know. It's, it very much did feel like something of fiction as opposed to being something of like that actually happened. Um, So like, thank you for that insight.
1: Just in anything we do, you know, I guess in the creative world, you see that as well. It's like, well, here's a blank piece of paper and I got to write a script. And then even as hard as that is like, okay, we got to get a whole group of cast and crew. So a lot, People very artistically minded. Others maybe working in a technical. So it's really bringing a lot of different people together, which is pretty cool. But that there's a transformative process in, in that and pro- professions. But I would hope just in our everyday lives too. Um, you know, just this morning's gospel I talked yeah, that we can even make. Why I think our we have actually a coffee shop, Holy Grounds. will give a shout out to them. But they, <laughs> I think we have the better baristas in town you know I go there every day to support almost every day to support them but you like to you know there's a lot of cool places here in San Juan mm-hmm. the researchers are just better here because they're the kinder they try to get to know the regulars names yeah not just transactional see Trans- transforming the what is ordinary bread and wine into something more extraordinary um, yeah it's pretty cool I think it, you you see that too and it's a wonderful life I love that because even the most minor characters you you feel the presence of God there mm-hmm. I, I just a lot of the stuff that's produced. It just uh, one of two: they either don't do it, or they're trying too too much consciously to do it, and um, <laughs> that don't just emerge from it, the time. I, again, every era has its own challenges, but it seemed to be more of a time where that was just more. It came; those things
0: came naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had one. <laughs> there's another question: the Conjuring in regards to the scene where they kind of explain how it is that the demonic entity was kind of mocking the family. It's like they, I remember this distinctly. It's like at three o'clock they would hear like the three knocks, but they explained it as it mocking the Holy Trinity. But I wasn't sure if that was like at all accurate or like there's any.
1: Right. Um, More in the, the tradition, the practice, so take it with a grain of salt. It wouldn't be like you know, dogma type um, type mm-hmm. level, yeah. But there would be an instance. Um, I guess spirits can be about any time of the day, but I guess the witching hour, for lack of a better term, it would be at 3 a.m. Because a tradition, we believe um, Christ died at 3 p.m. You know, death on the cross in the afternoon. So the way to mock that. I guess, and the devil's cleverness would be, yeah, that three o'clock hour. So,
0: well, thank you so much. That's like basically the gist yeah. of what we want to cover, and you went way like far beyond like what we could have imagined. But yeah, it was great having you like talk about all of this, and I think it's like something super interesting, just because not a lot of people have this much knowledge. Or like, do you spend like a lot of time doing this? So yeah, it'll be really interesting to like have people here in and see what it's all about.
1: Cool. So that was it. I was going to close with a closing prayer.
0: Mm-hmm. Something
1: I, you know, when I, I think when I taught your class, what we like to do and to reinforce that you do have um, power over these things through like ordinary prayer. What we do often, we, I, I think that works best. We did this or our parents did this for us in many cases, at least those that were cradle Catholics brought into it, you know, has maybe less than one year is as infants. Um, so they did pray a renunciation of sin profession of faith. So we'll do that as closing prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. So if our faith makes us ready to accept this responsibility of continuing our baptismal promises, we'll renew now the vows of our own baptism, both in this zoom meeting, those Currently watching online, those hopefully uh, watching the recording subsequent. Let's profess our faith in Christ Jesus. This is the faith. This is the faith in which we have been baptized in. The response is, "I do." So, do we reject Satan? We do, and all his works. We do, and do. all his empty promises. We do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? I do. I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father? We do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body life everlasting? I I do. We do. This is our faith, this is a faith which we are proud to profess in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And may Almighty God bless um, Brittany, you, all those watching online or in the coming days. Um, May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Disclaimer. The opinions and views that are discussed in the Catholic Trojan podcast are solely those of the individuals and do not represent the views of the USC Crusoe Catholic Center as a whole. This podcast allows for a safe space for students to openly engage in fruitful discussions and to express themselves freely. If there are any questions or comments concerning what has been discussed in the podcast, leave a comment below or email Brittany Castillo. Thank you and fight on.